Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Worship in the Word. Thank you so much for joining us here at ICC for online worship this Sunday morning. I am Pastor Todd Rigney, lead pastor here at ICC, located in Frederick, Maryland. Well, today the title of our message this morning is Get Back Up. Get Back Up. What to do when you've blown it. Let's get right into the Word of God this morning by saying our Bible pledge together. Will you join with me right now? This book is the infallible Word of God. Christ is its star, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. This book declares that God loves me as I am, but will not leave me where he finds me. I am not what I can be, but I am not what I used to be. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do, and I can be all that it says I can be. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Please join with me right now as we read the word of God together. Our scripture text today is taken from Psalm 51, beginning with verse one, if you wanna follow. The word of the Lord says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let God's people pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we ask you to do two things specifically. God, anoint our ears to hear and anoint our hearts to receive what the Spirit of the living God desires to speak into our lives today and let us forever be changed by it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen and amen. Get back up. What to do when you've blown it. In preparing this message, I came across uh, bulletin, church bulletin bloopers. I call, it, I call it actual church bulletin announcements that went wrong. One of my favorite things, I love this. I, I, I think it's very funny. I hope that you will too. The first one is this, and these are actual church announcements found in church bulletins across the country. This one is, announcement to the Moms Who Care ladies group. Note, there will be no moms who care this week, end of quote. The next one says, at the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our church choir practice. Another one says, next Thursday, there will be tryouts for the church choir. They need all the help that they can get. Another one says, the low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Important note, please use the back door when you come. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cute. This is my personal favorite, and this is the last one. It says, our Bible study on prophecy has been canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. Did you get that? Unforeseen circumstances. Those were church bulletin announcements that went wrong. But who is there among us today who has not failed? Who is there among us who has not blown it at some point in time? 
You know, some days I make mistakes. Then on other days, I make bigger mistakes. Then on some exceptional days, I just absolutely blow it. Can somebody say amen? I know I'm not alone in that because we all make mistakes. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Romans 3 and 23, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Listen, I have failed, you have failed. We have all tasted of the bitter residue of failure. We all know what it means to fail and particularly fail miserably from time to time. You know, I'm reminded of John chapter eight when the woman who was caught in adultery by the Pharisees and the religious rulers in Jesus' day and they brought this woman caught in an adulterous affair, brought her before Jesus in all of her guilt and all of her humiliation. According to the law, she should have been stoned to death on the spot right then and right there. But Jesus mercifully proclaimed, he that is without sin cast the first stone. Oh, those words, how those words ring so priceless to me because it reminds me that I should have been, I should have been condemned. I should have been cast away. But Jesus Christ, our Messiah, chose to intervene, chose to die on a cross, and chose to forgive me of my sins. Then there is the college student who was dreaming of becoming a medical doctor, but because he failed a course in comparative anatomy, his dream was turned into shambles. Of course, he also failed to go to class, and he also failed to take notes during the professor's daily lectures. He also failed to study for his exams, and he ultimately failed the class. That, of course, was the professor's fault and not his. That's the way it typically goes in today's society. Nobody wants to take responsibility for their failures. Nobody wants to take responsibility for their sin. Today, we're going to look at a story about a man of God, and yes, I said a man of God, and next to Jesus Christ himself, arguably the most compelling figure of the Bible still today, yet this same man committed sins that you and I probably would not dream of committing ourselves. It wasn't even one of those cases where he accidentally committed the sin before realizing what he was doing. He put a great deal of thought and meticulous planning into committing his offense. And it was completely, entirely premeditated. And then he went to an even greater extent to cover his terrible sin up. And in the end, when all was said and done, two innocent bystanders were dead and two families were left totally in shambles. You may even conclude that the events in this particular man's life read more like an Oliver Stone movie script than a Bible story. But that's not the most astonishing part of this story, folks. You know what the most astonishing part of this story is? It is that this man's hideous transgression did not ruin this man's life. Can you believe that? Did you hear that today? By God's grace, this man was able to recover over time from this horrific, unspeakable transgression and get back on his feet once again, all by the grace of Almighty God. Can you guess who this man is? Can you guess who I'm gonna be talking to you about this morning? The man that I wanna share with you about today is none other than King David 
himself. But in order to have an appropriate appreciation for what God did on behalf of David, we first have to talk about the scandal. We got to talk about the scandal that David was involved in. This is very quick summary of what went down. The Bible teaches us that one evening, King David had a hard time going to sleep. I'm sure David had many sleepless nights as king of Israel because Israel was in many battles going through constant warfare, and this night was no exception. So King David went out onto the balcony of his palace, and he took a walk. And while he was walking, he noticed in the distance a beautiful young woman by the name of Bathsheba taking her nightly bath on the roof of her house. Instead of looking the other way, David took the first step toward moral failure and total catastrophe. David did the same thing that Eve did in the Garden of Eden. David gazed at the forbidden fruit. In this case, David gazed at Bathsheba. When he found out that her husband named Uriah was a soldier and was away at war, David sent for Bathsheba and he used his power as king and he used his prestige in his kingly position to seduce Bathsheba. David later discovered that Bathsheba was pregnant with his baby. Oh my. David knew it was his baby because Bathsheba's husband, remember he was away at war fighting for his country and fighting for his king. The same king who had so horribly betrayed him. In an attempt to cover his tracks, David had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, brought in from the battlefield for a time with his wife. Uriah politely refused the king. The reason he refused the king because it was unthinkable to him for him to come home and spend time with his wife while his fellow soldiers were at war on the front lines, risking their lives both day and night. You see, Uriah's personal integrity would not allow him to do such a thing. Since Uriah could not be persuaded to compromise, David sent Uriah back to the front lines to battle with a letter to Joab. Joab just so happened to be his commanding officer, and Joab just so happened to be King David's uncle. Little did Uriah know, little did he realize that what he was actually doing, he was delivering his own death warrant Joab had been instructed by his nephew, King David, to place Uriah on the front lines of battle and then withdraw the other troops so that Uriah would certainly die in combat. You don't have to be in the military to know that there is no greater offense than turning your back on a fellow soldier especially while in the heat of battle. This is exactly what happened to Uriah. Honorable Uriah was killed in battle. Honorable Uriah was, he died defending his country and he died defending the very king who betrayed him by seducing his wife at a vulnerable time of loneliness. In the meantime, David conveniently married Bathsheba after he knew that Uriah's death had taken place. And David used this opportunity to make himself look like the hero. You see, here's the point, church. 
Nobody in Israel knew the story behind the story. And as far as David was concerned, no one would ever know the truth about the scandal that had taken place in Israel at all. David used his own power. David used his own position to pull off what at least appeared to be the perfect crime with the perfect cover-up. Nobody would ever know. Hold on. Then we come to 2 Samuel chapter 11 in verse 27. Listen to what the Word of God says here. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The Hebrew term translated in the Bible for displeased depicts God, the God of heaven here, as a volcano erupting with hot lava overflowing out of its massive mouth. You see, nobody in Israel knew the scandal that took place. David thought his secret was safe between he himself, Bathsheba, and also his uncle, Joab. Powerful people, high-ranking positions in the kingdom of Israel, but what David overlooked was someone who held a higher rank of position than he himself did even as king, and that is David forgot about the God of heaven. Somebody said, oh, but God never gets angry. Oh, I beg to differ this morning. Listen, God does get angry. Yes, he does. God is not only perfect in his mercy today, church. God is not only perfect in his compassion. God is not only perfect in his love. God is also perfect today in his anger. God's anger is a holy anger. My anger, 99.9% of the time, is more of a fleshly anger, if you know what I mean. It's not a perfect anger. It's not a holy anger. It is tempered with, with selfishness and, and conceit and pride and arrogance. But listen, when God gets angry, it's a holy anger. The Lord God is just in his anger. But this Hebrew term also portrays not only anger, but understand this Hebrew term portrays anger mixed with anguish. In other words, God was not only angry at David, God was emotionally traumatized when learning of his son's criminal offense. You see, and we moms and dads, you know what I'm talking about. When our children, when they, when they disappoint us, I know we don't like to talk about that, but we know our children do disappoint us from time to time. If we'll be honest with ourselves today, we're not always proud of ourselves. We're not always proud of something that we do or decisions that we make ourselves. But you see, no one else may have known what David had done in Israel, but God knew. And that's all it takes. It wasn't very long before a prophet by the name of Nathan confronted King David with his sin. And David knew that he had done a terrible, horrific thing. He knew that he had committed a horrendous transgression. I want to read a passage of scripture here. Now, I don't have this on the screen because I didn't want you to get distracted. I want you to hear this powerful passage of scripture which depicts the confrontation between the prophet Nathaniel and King David. Listen to what the word of God says. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing 
except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler, which was customary, who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to that poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger when he heard the story. He burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, he looked at the king of Israel, the most powerful man in that land, next to God himself, and said, you, king, you are the man. The prophet Nathan said to King David, because of what you have done, this baby is going to die. Now, church, can you imagine how that must have made David feel? Can you imagine the emotional trauma that undoubtedly swept over David like a, a tidal wave that, that enveloped his soul? No doubt the guilt of what he had done was already burning inside of him. And then when the prophet Nathan confronted him about it, as God himself had directed him to do. Can you imagine the, the weight of the condemnation and the guilt that fell undoubtedly upon the king of Israel that day? You see, David can no longer hide behind the excuses that he had allowed himself to believe. David had blown it in a big way and now it was time for him Yes, even the king of Israel to face the music. The word of God says in Galatians chapter six and verse seven, it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Well, David did face the music. The king of Israel did own up to his guilt. He knew that his sin and his atrocity had been exposed. And instead of denying it, David confessed it before the prophet Nathan. And David made things right with God and got his life back on track. At some point during this time, David wrote this Psalm, Psalm 51, which is serving today as our scripture text. Psalm 51 is all about getting back up. Often a person makes the mistake of thinking that God hates us because of what we have done. That's a very common mistake. When we sin against the Lord, we understand how passionately God hates sin, but what we must never forget that even as God hates sin, listen, he doesn't hate us, the sinner. The truth is God loves us no matter what we have done. The Bible says in John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then verse 17 goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, through Jesus Christ, the world might be saved. Oh, that brings me joy. That brings joy to this pastor today. Joy in knowing that God doesn't throw me away when I fail him. 
God doesn't throw his people away even when we fail him terribly, even when we blow it. Today I'm going to share what God's word teaches us about getting back on the right track with God, about getting back on the right track with others, and even with ourselves. This is for you as well as it is for me. But to begin getting back on the right track requires something, and that is the first thing it requires. It requires a change of heart. Psalm 51 of our text, verses one through four, David is writing here. Remember now, we understand the circumstances that David is writing, Psalm 51, our text. And let's read verses one through four. The Bible says, David writing, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. In the first two verses of our text, Psalm 51, we find that David was begging God for his forgiveness. David did not thumb his nose at God when he was confronted about his iniquity. David did not become arrogant or have a prideful reaction. After all, remember now, we're talking about the king of Israel. And not just any king, we're talking about a beloved king the champion of Israel. We're talking about the same man who when he was a small boy slew the giant Goliath and led Israel to many victories and united the kingdom of Israel together under his leadership and under his influence. But when David was, was confronted with his own personal transgression, David humbled himself before the Lord. He didn't make excuses. He didn't deny his transgression. David owned up to his guilt. And here we find him in Psalm 51, crying out to the Lord, begging for God's forgiveness. David said, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Friend, if David would humble himself before the Lord, a man that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, how much more should you and I be willing and able and ready to do the same thing in moments and times that we have really blown it spiritually with the Lord? In short, David was guilty and he readily acknowledged this guilt. There was a televangelist, this particular individual has gone on to be with the Lord now, but this happened when I was very young. A televangelist and former PTL host, Jim Baker, wrote a book that was entitled, now hear this title. He wrote a book entitled, I Was Wrong. Just imagine that being the title of your biography. How would you like to be able to sum up the first 50 years of your life with that proclamation? There aren't many people who have the honesty nor the transparency to do that and make that bold of a statement about themselves. Jim Baker did. Jim Baker not only admitted to moral failure while pretending to be a genuine minister of the gospel, but also acknowledged that he had led many people astray by teaching false doctrine, teaching theological error to millions of people for many years. He described himself during that time of his life as being ambitious and as being self-serving and considered himself above consequences at the time. 
But when Jim Baker ended up in prison, when he ended up alone, he ended up broken and abandoned, separated from his wife, he experienced a change of heart. He reached a point in his life where he was truly and sincerely sorry for his sins. Church, listen, God knows how to get our attention, doesn't he? God knows how to grasp hold of our hearts when we're going down a path of destruction, when we're going in a direction that God never intended for us to go. God knows how to stop us, but he doesn't do it out of condemnation. We're condemned by our own sin, but God does it out of his own mercy and grace toward us because God knows we're headed for an eternal destination that God never intended for us to ever have to suffer. Getting right with God requires, friend, a change of heart. Do you remember being young and getting in trouble and your mom would ask if you were sorry for what you did? Of course, the answer was always yes, an emphatic yes, I'm sorry, mom. Then she would always follow that question up with another question. And she would always ask, are you sorry that you did it? Or are you just sorry you got caught? Oh boy, what a question that was. A change of heart means that we are sorry that we did it. We're not just sorry our sin got exposed. We're not just sorry that we got caught, but we're sorry that we did it. We're sorry for our transgression against God. Regardless of who knows or regardless of who doesn't know about our sin, let me tell you something, God knows. The God of heaven knows everything. I'm reminded of Jonah in the Old Testament who was running away from God because of God's calling on his life. The Bible says that Jonah got into a ship and tried to travel far away so God wouldn't find him. But guess what? God found him. And just like God found Jonah, God will catch up with us as well. Getting back on the right track also requires a change of mind. A change of mind. Have you ever noticed that we gladly take credit for our accomplishments? Oh, nobody has to remind us to take credit for something good or something uh, that we have accomplished. Nobody has to remind us to take credit for our successes. We, we gladly take credit for the good things that we have done, but when it comes to our failures, it is our human nature to make excuses for the things that we have done. Let me throw you a couple of statements that we typically as human beings make when we have blown it and blown it in a big way. We make statements like this. I'm sorry I lost my temper, honey, but it's because I was so tired. I had a long, tiring day. Or something like this. You know, I'm really under a lot of pressure right now. I'm under a lot of pressure today. We're always making excuses for our failures. How many times have we said something like that? But it is our natural tendency to blame something or to blame someone else whenever we blow it. When we say things like this, I'm just not myself today. What we really mean is that we are at our worst instead of at our best. I wanna share with you another story as I begin to bring this to a close this morning. In 1980, true story, New York City Mayor Ed Koch appeared on a local news program in the middle of, a, of New York City's financial crisis back in 1980. Koch had spent over a quarter of a million dollars to put bicycle lanes throughout Manhattan. And those bicycle lanes had turned out to be a total and a complete disaster. 
Cars were driving in the bike lanes. Pedestrians were walking in them and bikers were getting crowded off the road entirely. Nobody paid any attention to the bike lanes after the city had spent so much money during a recession. It was a total mess and many people in New York City were totally irate about it. Well, Koch was coming up for re-election. So a handful of journalists had cornered him on this news show, planning to tear him to pieces for spending money foolishly when the city was nearly broke as it was. Well, one reporter started off by asking him the question. He said, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Mayor, in light of the financial difficulties that New York City is facing right now, how could you possibly justify wasting $300,000 on bike lanes? The stage was set for a half hour of intense confrontation. But instead, Mayor Koch responded. Listen to what he said. He said, you know, it was a terrible idea. He said, I thought that it would work. It looked good on paper, in other words, but it didn't work. It was one of the worst mistakes that I ever made in office. Then he stopped. Well, none of the journalists were expecting that. Nobody had dreamed that a politician would actually take responsibility for a foolish decision. Well, the next journalist, Stamberg, stepped up and said, but Mayor, Mr. Mayor, how could you do this? Well, Mayor Koch again simply replied, well, I already told you. It was a stupid idea. It didn't work. I blew it. And then he stopped. There were still 26 minutes left to go in that news conference. And the reporters had to scramble in order to find something else to talk about. The last thing they expected that day was for the mayor, a politician, to take responsibility for his bad decisions. Ultimately, Koch went on to receive both the Democratic and the Republican endorsements for re-election. And yes, he did become mayor of New York City once again. The point here is that when we confess our sins, when we repent before the Lord, and we confess our sins because you know what? We're not gonna confess our sins unless we have a repentive heart. But when we confess our sins to God, when we confess our transgressions before the Lord, you know what happens? That sin is brought to the light of God's righteousness. And you know what? Sin is rendered powerless. Sin's grasp on our hearts, sin's clutch on our lives is all of a sudden rendered powerless whenever we allow the Holy Spirit to bring that sin to the light of God's truth. David could have done like Adam did back in the book of Genesis chapter one through three. Listen to Adam's response to God when God entered the garden and confronted Adam over what he and his wife Eve had done. Adam respond, responded to God by saying this. He said, God, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from that tree and I ate it. You see, in one sentence, Adam blamed God, his creator, and then he blamed Eve, his wife, for his own sin. But David realized that it was time for him to take responsibility for his own actions and take back control of his life. Do you want to take back control of your life this morning? Are you tired of being a slave uh, to the condemnation of sin? Confess your sin 
to the Lord God of heaven. Let me tell you a secret. He already knows anyway. You can't hide anything from him. He is the omniscient God. He's the all-knowing Lord. But when you confess your sin, when I confess my transgressions to the Lord, guess what happens? The, the bondage of sin is loosed from our lives and we find freedom in Christ once again. This is why David declared, listen to what he said again, against you, Lord. You only have I sinned. You are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. I have been a sinner from birth. Finally, and this is the last one, this is a short one, getting back on the right track requires a change of heart, a change of mind, and finally, a change of direction. David's life had begun to fall apart. He was miserable. His innocent baby, his unborn baby was on the threshold of death. His relationship with his new wife Bathsheba was just wasn't the fulfilling relationship that he had hoped it would be. In other words, everything that David knew, everything, all the blessings that was a byproduct of God's favor on his life, everything began to fall apart. David's life was spinning out of control. Much like my car hydroplane one day as I was making my way to New Orleans, Louisiana to pick someone up from the airport. Oh, I was in a hurry. I was already running late. And there came this intense rainstorm that fell on I-10 going west toward New Orleans. And before I realized what happened, I was speeding I was going too fast and all of a sudden I could feel that car begin to slip out of my control. And from one second to another second, I found myself literally spinning out of control down I-10, headed west. Psalm 51, seven through 12, David prayed this prayer. I want you to listen to the prayer he prayed. He said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I want you to notice in closing today some key words that David uses in his prayer here in our text. Notice what David prayed. David said, Cleanse me. David prayed, wash me. David pleaded, blot out my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. You see, there are endless numbers of people who have walked into a very dark storm that has never ended for them. There's a man or a woman who has captured in the storm of a broken relationship or a broken home, a marriage that began with so much hope, so much anticipation, so many pleasant dreams, with so much joy and so much delight who is now in a dark, endless fight, a home that turned into a war zone. Life has become an endless, bitter trail her husband is a lazy heel, and she has become the wicked witch of the West. There are thousands of Christians today who, who make a glorious start in this Christian life. There's no doubt they're going to get to heaven as long as they don't run past it, if you know what I mean. But somewhere along the line, they got capsized by a wave that could not be, they could not see coming. 
They were caught off guard by a wind of adversity. Temptation took control of their lives and a wave of discouragement smashed them against the beach. Church, this is not the time to give up. This is not the time to give up. Friend, this is the time to get up. Stop it. Stop settling for what the devil wants you to have today. Stop settling for Satan's condemnation that he wants to keep hanging over your head as a child of God. Let me tell you something. God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, shed his life's blood on the cross of Calvary in order to make a way of escape for you today simply by confessing your sin calling upon the name of Jesus and asking for his forgiveness today. In Jesus' name, listen to me, in Jesus' name, get back up. Will you pray this prayer with me today in closing? Lord Jesus, I'm tired of the sin in my life. I'm tired of the struggle that my personal sin has brought upon me. I feel distant from you. My choices have not led me into the right places. I never dreamed I'd be where I am this day, but Lord God, I look to you. I believe in your mercy and I call upon your abundant grace. Forgive me, God, for my sins. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness. You created me in your own image, God. You know my thoughts before I ever even speak them. 1 John 1, 9 and 10 says, if I confess my sins, that you will be faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness. God, I confess my transgressions to you today. I confess my sin to you right now. And I put faith in you and trust you to take the guilt away to take away the condemnation, to take away the penalty of my sin and make my sin clean by the washing of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I confess it to you right now. Please forgive me for my sins, Jesus, against you and you you alone have I sinned. Blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. And in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' gracious, merciful name, I pray these things. Amen and amen. Oh, praise be unto the living God this morning. Thank you. Let us thank God. Let us take time out right now to give thanks and praise to God to be a God who is merciful and gracious, to forgive us of our sins when we call upon his name. Amen. God bless you today. Thank you for joining us for worship in the word. God bless your day. Join us next time right here at the International Community Church. Amen and amen.